Cast. Hello, you are listening to 29th episode of CTOcast. Today is Tuesday, December 9th of 2019. You can listen all episodes if you subscribe at CTOcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. I'm your host Sasha Stapinka from Amsterdam, together with our new host Nick Frolov, also from Amsterdam. Hey Nick! Hey guys, great to be with you today. And yeah. we have Sam Huber, of course. Yes, uh, Sam Huber, CEO of and founder of Admix, uh, who is now in London, if I'm not mistaken. Hi, Samuel. Hey guys, great to be here. Yeah, and uh, I have my first question. Probably it's not very expected from your side. It's not about Admix. Uh, preparing for that uh, interview and looking at your uh, uh, biography, your past experience i found that you've been working for one of uh, formula one teams is it true yeah 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 no it was a super interesting job i mean i got this job right out of, out of university uh and i was actually responsible for uh, some of the engine strategy um so looking at what engine to use to towards what race because at the time there were 18 races only eight engines per driver so running simulations and figuring out um where um uh, is the, this engine going to be best applied to kind of maximize the performance of the engine. So it was, uh, it was fascinating, you know, having 600 people working on uh, one engine uh, really um, helps you appreciate the complexity of it and also working in teams. So I learned a lot there about how to manage a team um, and how to, you know, um, progress through a, a backlog of tasks um, and, uh, you know, stuff that today uh, I'm still applying to my to my daily work as the CEO of Admix. Uh, Sam, and who was the um, uh, driver back then? Who was in the seat of the car? Uh, so we um, were basically supporting Mercedes, McLaren and Force India. So we were, I was part of the engine team that supplies multiple teams. So at the time, Rosberg, Schumacher was there, uh, Hamilton, Button, and I think Sutil. And uh, who was it? Uh, De Resta was the, the sixth driver. So we were actually supporting six drivers. So you're saying uh, 600 people working for the team, and uh, did you have any chance to meet the drivers personally? 600 people were only for the engine um, that is supplying these three teams, and then each team probably had about 500 people on top of that to do, you know, all the other things, right, from aerodynamics to a chassis to tires, strategy and stuff. Um, so it's it's a lot of people, and uh, yeah, of course the drivers were regularly coming to um, to the factory. Uh, I went on track multiple times as well, so uh, I had a chance to, uh, uh, especially because my role was very much a strategic role between the kind of the management and um, the tech, um, uh, the, um, tech people on the, uh, sorry, technicians. Um, it was uh, had a, a chance to interact with the drivers a few times. Between Formula One and your current company, Admix, there were uh, uh, several few things, uh, but how you came up with uh, Admix, and if you can get uh, some insights for our listeners, what is that? What is Admix? What are you working on? Sure, yeah. So um, um, at the end of my stint in, in Formula One, I mean, I've always been very passionate about doing my own, own thing. So I started working on the side on a mobile app. Um, eventually managed to secure a bit of funding for it. So I decided eventually to, uh, to go full time. And uh, it was very much on the end. I already made up my mind that I would leave, leave my uh, career and, uh, and really focus on my own, uh, own ventures. Um, and from there, I developed multiple things. It was mostly mobile focused because I saw that 
in, back in the 2013, um, uh, more and more people were starting to really pay attention to mobile. It was really the um, the boom after the first couple of um, you know iPhones, where everyone was embracing the the smartphones, and uh, the app store really was was taking off very fast. Um, so we built a couple of games, uh, built projects for brands as well, but mostly it was focused on building our apps. And from there, I've developed a couple of ideas that didn't work out, and one of them worked out pretty well. Uh, it was uh, called Rock Trader. It was a simple game where you could um, trade a fake stock and invite your friends. So it was viral mechanics were included in the game as well, which was pretty cool. Um, we got featured at CES in Las Vegas as the game, one of the game of the week. Uh, and from there, we got a lot of interest from uh, others, uh, other studios to actually acquire the game, which was, uh, which was very cool because it was a game that we've developed with very little resources. And um, without, you know, still a very small team, uh, we were six people, we were able to grow it to, um, to a fairly, fairly decent amount of, uh, of uh, daily active users. And... Um, through that period, I learned a lot about how to build content, how to manage a small team, but also how to monetize. And that was the main challenge. Monetization was always a, a tricky point. Um, and towards the same time, I started to learn about also VR, AR 2015, starting to see that um, you know a couple of devices were coming to the market. And uh, I was very excited to um, build content for, for VR. But at the same time, I realized that a lot of the tools and infrastructure to grow a VR applications, like for example, monetization tools or user acquisitions or even analytics, all of these things that were available to me as a mobile uh, owner of a mobile studio were not there for VR and AR. All these solutions were just not adapted to the 3D world. And this is where I realized that the opportunity for VR AR at that point, more than building content that would be really hard to scale one, because the user base just wasn't there, and also because these tools were missing, um, I decided to kind of pivot and, uh, and basically building that infrastructure. And this is how Admix came about. Our goal is to build the right tools for developers to be able to scale their applications, starting with monetization. So our current um, solutions right now is a SDK for Unity. Uh, if you are building VR, AR, or actually even traditional games or esports, any, any 3D content using Unity and Unreal, you can use Admix uh, to identify areas of the content that you can sell to advertisers. So our idea is to make monetization work well for the users as well. So instead of having a video that takes you away from the, from the app, for example, or a, a banner that is really annoying and, and ugly at the bottom of the game, we integrate ads within the experience. So if you are walking through a city like a GTA type of game, you can have real ads on your billboards. Or if you have a football game, you can add ads all across the stadium. And we're starting with two-dimensional ads, so banners and videos that are already supported by advertisers. But a long-term vision is more like product placements. So you can imagine that elements of your app, whether it's VR, AR, or traditional games, could be made of products that are sponsored by real brands, right? So if you... Uh, your character in the game has a phone, then it could be an Android phone. Or if uh, you do a, a, you need a car to race uh, from A to B, then that car could be a Mercedes car, for example. So this is our long-term vision. It's sponsored product placements, and we believe that this is really the future of monetization. Um, so that's that's really what we're focusing on right now. And then we have future plans where 
um, through our community of creators. We own VR Focus and a couple of other websites. Um, we're also building an audience of enthusiasts, people who really love VR, AR, that have the headset are consuming this content. And long term, this could be a source of acquisition for developers to uh, acquire these users into their apps to complete the whole ecosystem. Just to uh, to give full picture uh, about how uh, end users see and perceive the advertising, uh, you said that it's banners, it's video, and it's also native product placement yeah. like 3D objects within uh, VR. And also it works, my understanding, for both AR and VR, right? Yeah, and actually it works, again, for non non-immersive content as well. So if you're building a, a game for your iPhone that is going to be watched in 2D without VR, without AR, that works as well. We work with Unity, we work with Unreal, so it really doesn't matter which platform you want to deploy your content. Um, if you want to monetize your content in a different way without intruding on the users or without creating a bad experience, you can use our, our technology. There's okay, a very so famous um, curve yeah. that most developers would know where when you add more advertisements, um, the retention of your users suffer, right? It goes down. It's a curve that goes down. And basically what we found is using our solution, because it's in the game, it doesn't, it doesn't stop you from doing, uh, performing any type of action. It's not intrusive. Actually, we reverse that trend and the, the line becomes flat. So you can add more advertising within the game, but it doesn't actually affect the retention of the user, which is, a, which is an amazing uh, value added for, for the developers. That sounds good from that perspective. At the same time, you can make advertising so not intrusive that nobody sees it, right? So how do you measure Absolutely. interaction with the uh, advertising? Like, uh, Or let's put it in a different way, how users actually can interact with advertising if they can. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, it's mostly on the display side. So it's more for brands to um, take over a specific game and create that feeling that they are part of it without you having to necessarily click on anything. We believe that especially the VR, AR immersive environments, they are better to create this experiential marketing, right? It's to um, really try to take over a part of the game, to bring this sense of familiarity to the user that even if they are evolving in this virtual world, they can see a brand that they already like and that they already know. Um, and so it's more about that. It's more about reminding users to be top of mind rather than uh, actual driving direct performance. And the interesting thing is that brands are starting really to pay attention to this because you know, in the 60s, 70s, when advertising actually started, it was all about you know, Mad Men and the art of advertising and this big concept and trying to make people feel how it would, how it would, how it would feel like to own the product before they owned it and try to convince them. And then with the internet, we went completely the other way. And it's all about clicks and how big of an audience. And we lost that art of advertising. And I think brands start to realize that you need to be, you have a mix of both because the performance stuff is great. You can drive clicks, but if you stop advertising, then the performance stops as well. You're not building equity on your brand. It's just about you know, short-term actions and driving immediate performance. And I think in this day and age where um, the market is so competitive and anyone can use Facebook to run ads, um, brands realize that the value of their brand is very valuable. And so placing their brands in key areas where people spend a lot of time and they're very engaged uh, is very valuable. So if you play a, 
a game. Uh, it could be a shooting game or any type of game that you want, a racing game. And you keep seeing uh, advertisement for Domino's Pizza or Pringles. Uh, it's very likely that this will actually have a performance and, and have an impact on your future purchase. Um, and the way we can measure this is, is actually simple. We can measure how long the ad has been in the field of view of the user. Uh, in VR, we know where people are looking, right? It's completely anonymous, of course, but we can build trends of how long people actually see that placement, uh, how much time they spend gazing at it. Um, and so there is a lot of uh, metrics that actually you cannot capture anywhere but in VR, which are very, very interesting for brands and uh, help them consider this type of advertisement as not just purely branding, but also a component of performance. Interesting. So if, if I understand correctly, you basically created your own set of metrics. Uh, it's, it's, you, you've done the, the, the overview of the history, right, and how it evolved. Uh, in, in the market and the market analytics, but market analytics today is very much still focused on the impressions. What you say and you still able to derive from the from the 3D world, you know, from the gaze of the of the player, you derive in the same metrics on impressions and yeah. basically the, the interaction right. with the brand. Right, that's our first that's the first step. So because it's a completely new media or new channel for advertisers we have to go step by step. It's like, you know, moving from TV to the web. Not every brand jumped on day one and said, okay, we want to advertise on the web. Actually, it took about 10 years for this whole ad tech market on the internet to, to fully develop. There's always a big lag. And we think that the transition to in-game is also going to take some time. It's, you know, you cannot debate the fact that there is close to 2 billion people playing games in the world. And on average, they spend over an hour a day uh, this is the second biggest activity that we do on our smartphone after, you know, watching videos. So it, gaming is massive and it's completely mainstream, uh, whether it's VR, AR or traditional gaming, of course. Um, and so brands are starting to pay attention to this and they want to be part of the conversation. They want to be part of the story. But if we were going straight into complicated 3D models and having a different pricing point and uh, different metrics to assess performance, that would be too much of a shift for them. So right now we start with existing formats, banners, videos that they would normally place on a website. Now we place them in the game and also the same pricing model. It's per impression. On top of that, we are reporting more advanced metrics like gaze, how long this has been seen. And in the future, we hope to shift the pricing model from purely impression, which is a binary thing, right? Impression, yes or no, to more of a cost per time, cost per engagement. But this is going to take time and this requires education uh, on the brand side. What, what, what will be the impact outside of the games, right? Um, um, VR is also evolving, right? VR is, uh, uh, Oculus is very heavily trying to kind of spun off uh, the just being the, the, the console for games, but trying to be console for, uh, well, workplace or yeah, uh, for yeah, productivity. For sure. um, you see uh, the application of, uh, of these non-intrusive ads uh, in non-game environment? Absolutely. Actually, the, we don't consider ourselves as a gaming company at all. The reason why we have started with games is, of course, this is where the numbers are right now, right? Whether it's VR, AR, or traditional uh, formats. But, you know, we really want to build AdMix as the infrastructure enabling creators of games, of course, but also of all the other type of apps that you can think of to actually make money. In fact, I think that games 
as a, a content platform um, for years and years, they have uh, a lot of games have a, a different business model, right? They're either selling the game or they're paying by subscription or in-app purchase. Um, so whereas other type of applications like entertainment applications, for example, um, commerce or, um, you know, training or all of this stuff, they will have to have a different business model. Um, they will not be able to sell the app up front. So I actually see even more opportunities to monetize non-games uh, just because they target maybe a more mainstream audience who is not ready to spend 19.99 on Steam to get access to that content. So we see that transition in games where more and more games are free to play, of course. Um, this is also going to apply to VR and AR in the future. But the non-gaming content, the more the entertainment-focused content, I think will, uh, will really be our... Uh, or, or key targets when the market develops. Uh, from developer's perspective, uh, how does it look like? You already mentioned integration with uh, um, Unreal Engine, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, can, can you describe how it looks like from their perspective? Yeah, so I mean, the integration is, is super simple. Um, a lot of our developers actually say we're one of the uh, easiest plugin to use. So it basically goes like this. You go on our website, register, download the SDK for free. You can then import it um, into Unreal or Unity based on the editor that you use. And from there, you don't need to code or anything. It's literally drag and drop. So if you imagine that um, it's like building your own inventory, building your own billboard. So you can say, I want this billboard. You can choose among seven different sizes and you can drag and drop it. And so you can say, I'm going to place a banner on this wall or I'm going to place a video on this TV here. And in the middle of the room, I'm going to create a 3D space to put a virtual can of Coke. So you can create these placeholders um, from our, our kind of collection of placeholders that we have, drag and drop. And then you save that in place in your game. And then you have a, a access to a simple web UI where you can um, customize your integration a little bit. So you can turn these ads on and off remotely, right, without having to republish the app every time and also select the category of advertisers that you want. So if you're doing a racing game, you might want to see car manufacturers. If you're doing a, a sports game, you might want to see uh, energy drinks, for example. So you have some level of control there where you can select the type of brands that you want to be part of your experience. And then when you press validate and you go live, we actually sell this to a wide network of advertisers. Uh, we have over 2,000 buyers monthly at the moment. We connect programmatically to huge networks uh, from Verizon or Google, um, you know, big big advertising players that aggregate brands that are already using this platform to um, reach their audience on other channels. And so we are giving them access to VR, AR, and in-game, and we are the first company to be able to do that in a fully programmatic way. So you, you just said that you guys are the first to be doing it, but what, what other players are doing, right? Uh, especially... I think it's interesting. You, you you started from saying that basically the reason you got interested in this area because we are did not have a lot of areas for monetization. You know, yeah. like uh, the big mobile market, it didn't have enough user base, so you had to find additional revenue streams. But uh, is that uh, simply not the area of focus for big players? They're still happy with a big user base from from other platforms. Why is they not looking at it themselves? Um, I think in the case of VR, AR, for the big players, um, the, the numbers just are not, not significant enough, right? There's a, 
there is a market. And for us, you know, we are a 26-people company now. Uh, it's, it's good. But if you look at Google or Facebook, they need, you know, 200, maybe 500 million daily active users on a platform for them to actually put the efforts to say, okay, we're going to monetize this properly. Right now, these two guys that are basically the two biggest media company in the world are also pushing hardware. Um, you know, Facebook mostly with Oculus, but Google with, used to do with, with Daydream, but they're also pushing AR Core and, uh, you know, the, the AR Cloud as well. So they're building another layer of infrastructure. And so for them to put ads in VR, AR at this point with the current climate around advertising as well would be a terrible choice for them. Uh, because right now they want to evangelize VR, AR uh, to, the, to get more users to adopt it. So the last thing they want is to start putting their ads into it. So this is a great thing for us. It gives us space and time to actually uh, build our solution that would be a lot more respective of um, you know, user privacy, for example. And so we are really trying to put that in place and uh, establish ourselves as, as market leaders. So by the time these guys come in, which is going to be in three, four, five or six years, based on the uh, pace of adoption, uh, we would be in an ideal position to, uh, you know, to, to, to really be leading that market. You mentioned these big guys. We all know uh, that uh, all their advertising business is uh, heavily focused on uh, focus and uh, targeting person. Yes. Uh, based on collecting data around that person in good and bad way. Let's not discuss maybe this part, right? Um, uh, looking at the AR and VR environment, we all understand that it brings, and you already mentioned a couple examples, different uh, um, opportunities for gathering additional data, which we cannot gather in web or mobile. Like, for example, understanding where user is looking at at this moment, maybe something even more. Can you describe these additional opportunities, uh, what uh, AR and VR brings to us uh, around the person? What kind of new kind of data uh, you can start gathering? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, at the moment we are not gathering much uh, except really where people are looking. And this is just, uh, you know, where we, we report to the advertiser a specific time ad scene, how long the ad has been seen, um, of course, in a, in a completely anonymous way, more of a trend over, um, you know, all the, all the sessions that happen within a specific game. But long term, I mean, the possibilities are, are, are endless. Um, at a global level, what changes is if you look at what Google and Facebook are, are gathering, it's mostly uh, what I call static data, which is, you know, your name, maybe date of birth, where you are based, uh, of course, your interest. But it's things that are kind of like set in stone and not time sensitive. What VR and AR would bring us is actually access to another layer of data in addition from that, which is the behavioral level, uh, where they would basically be understand by design of the headset, especially in AR, the whole contextual element. What are you actually looking at? How are you feeling when you're looking at this particular thing? Where are you right now? And what time is it? And, you know, building some kind of uh, footprint of your habits, for example. Um, and this is just the beginning. I mean, if you start thinking about how they would use uh, some kind of haptics, for example, or just the way that you walk, which is called gait analysis, you can actually identify people just by the way they, they move. And of course, if you have a headset and two controllers, just based on that, that could be a unique signature. So all of this stuff put together and all the new sensors that would be part of you know, the, the headset of the future will really, if you all aggregate all this data together, um, that would bring 
what we call a kinetic footprint of the, the person, which is basically how they evolve through space uh, at a specific moment and how potentially how they feel even uh, if you're able to, you know, for example, monitor the heart rate or um, how fast the pupil of the user are di uh, dilating within the headset, right? All of this stuff we can kind of measure already with very, very cheap sensors. So it's not part of the headsets today, um, but it's uh, not unrealistic to imagine that it will be tomorrow. And so I've actually, we've written a couple of articles about that just to highlight what can be possible and the risk associated with this and, and how to tackle, um, you know, to, to mitigate this risk in the future, uh, because companies like Google and Facebook and others uh, potentially could be seeing that as a huge opportunity to, uh, to be able to gather more data. So, uh, so I think it's, uh, it's very important to understand where, where this could go and uh, the risk that are associated with it. You're focusing on the risk at the same time, also looking at that at, from their perspective as an opportunity if you're using this data uh, with a good attitude, right? <laughs> uh, it can be advantage, right? Um, if you compare um, advertising targeted uh, by context around the user and personalized targeting uh, on particular user, having such examples as you mm -hmm. mentioned with con connected uh, 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 how we called it, kinetic, kinetic, yeah. kinetic yeah, footprint, right? So uh, if you compare that in context of year and year, uh, which kind of advertising you think is more efficient and, uh, you know, uh, respectively would be more popular for uh, advertisers? Um, I think that um, it would be used probably at different levels. For, so if you're talking about this, branding advertising and uh, really creating that great experience this is more of a contextual thing right you go into a football game and you see adidas all around the stadium and you know it creates a really cool experience you can have 2d banners some videos playing there an actual model of the shoe on your player so this is really the top of top of the funnel awareness and, and creating a great fun experience that people will remember but then you can link that with a more uh, actionable um, call to action, which would be based on the data, um, based on the users. And especially if you can understand how the user enjoy the first experience that I mentioned, this uh, Adidas branded stadium, um, then you can actually target them later on any channel. It could be in VR as well, but it could be completely elsewhere to um, get them to convert and actually buy the pair of shoes. So, you know, it would be combined. I think it would be used for different purposes. I think that um, contextual advertising, which has been tried and done uh, quite, a, quite a lot on the web, but uh, to really to not, you know, that much success compared to uh, personal, personally targeted advertising, I think that will come back in full force because of the environment, uh, especially in VR, where you can have really, really targeted rooms or places that you can hang out that are really uh, well adapted to a very particular type of advertising. Um, but I don't think that, you know, just because I mentioned before how long it takes for brands to adapt um, to, to change and when they really like to do something and they used to buy audiences uh, day in, day out, they will probably try to, to keep doing that as well. And so this is where we need to be really careful as to what data will be available to them uh, in the future. 
if we are talking about uh, not only branded, uh, brand-oriented advertising, but also uh, about transactional, mm-hmm. what kind of opportunities do you see for VR and uh, AR immersive environments? Uh, and also such topic as... Um, I, I remember, I don't remember when exactly you mentioned in your interview or public talk about the connecting different VR worlds. Yes. And basically creating this kind of uh, hyperlinks between right, them. Right, right. Uh, uh, will it be applicable for such kind of transactional uh, advertising? Yeah, so, I mean, at a high level, what we are trying to do with Admix is is really creating areas of the content that where transaction can run. And right now, the transaction is an ad. So you pay with your attention. But in the future, you could imagine that if I tag this um, banner on a wall or you know this 3D space where a 3D ad could render, you could also host any type of transaction. Uh, so it could effectively become a shoppable ad. You could buy it and that could actually you know, be more of an e-commerce transaction than purely advertising. So we could imagine linking different business models together I think that's actually a great idea because, you know, right now advertising is responsible for um, 30, 35% of the mobile game market. We know that um, uh, in-app purchase is a is a much bigger part of the pie. And I think this is going to be the same for, for VR and AR in the future. So we need to be able to cover multiple business models to help to give more more options for the developers to monetize their game in a better way. Um, and I think, you know, the, what we tried to do with the hyperlink, which was kind of a prototype, it was linking two social VR environments. So uh, it was built together with a, a company called Somnium Space, which is a, a persistent VR world also based on the blockchain. Um, and we linked it to high fidelity. Um, so from Somnium Space, what you could do is walk through a portal in VR. And then if you also have high fidelity on your computer, it would basically switch application and you would end up on the um, other side of the high fidelity world. And we also think that this is a great idea, um, which is very similar to deep linking, where you could basically acquire users by just walking through a portal. You don't have to take your headset off and go back to the menu and open the other game. Um, You could just do it seamlessly within the experience. And of course, that could be a good way for um, developers to also monetize the users that are, uh, you know, if you, if you send a user away to another app, you should be paid for it. So, uh, and there could be even a branded experience in the tunnel in the middle. So this was really a proof of concept. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is find all the possible ways that developers of content could make money from their users. That's really our entire goal. We are at the service of the developer community. So advertising from big brands is one because big brands have money, but advertising between games and cross audience promotion, all these things are things that we're exploring because we believe that um, the, it's the combination of these different business models that will create a, a successful VR AR ecosystem for the developers. I have, have two questions um, from, from both sides. One is about your Developers, what you mentioned about the, the, the POC you just made, it sounds like there was quite a lot of interaction with the developers. In general, how much uh, overhead it is for uh, for dev teams to uh, to add admix uh, within within the tool, and how much sort of freedom they they have in terms of uh, working with you? Yeah, I mean it's it's literally it's it's a few hours of work, uh, and I know you know most. Uh, 
SDKs and platforms pride themselves on being easy to integrate, but uh, ours is genuinely easy to integrate. It's a few hours of work. I'm not, uh, you know, a, a great Unity developer myself, uh, but I can integrate it easily in in a, in, in a matter of minutes. Uh, so you know, it's it's super friendly, user friendly. It doesn't have any uh, coding required. Um, it's just really drag and drop, and then go to our platform. We take you there step by step. It's super easy, and we have developers that put you know, up to a couple hundred placements across their application, and it takes them uh, a few hours max to, to get set up. And then the best part is that once you validate this, uh, you actually start generating revenue in the next couple of hours. It takes, you know, a few weeks to go fully up to speed as your users also adopt the new version of the app and advertisers getting used to the new inventory, but you can see results immediately and it's continuous and it, it doesn't require us now going to a place to sell the campaign, this is already you're already connected to the right advertisers. So um, it is uh, it is very seamless. In terms of functionalities, we are trying to become um, more of a of a platform rather than simply an ad network. So we already have added a lot of different features uh, where you can manage, for example, uh, shaders. This is something that is coming live very soon, where you can kind of customize your experience even more by adding some light shaders on top of your ad. So if uh, you know you want to place an ad on a brick wall, for example, you still want the ad to show the brick texture across the branding, you can do that. Um, so we'll add a lot more, um, a lot more tools for, for developers to, be, to have even more control about the experience. Because as a creator, this is something that was frustrating to me is the lack of control of traditional solution, right? If you use AdMob or Unity ads, you basically integrate the SDK, but you can't do anything with it. You, 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 you know that the ad will be placed at the bottom of the screen or before the game, and you know that's it. Um, we want to become a tool where developers have complete control of their advertising experience. And so it's about where to place the ad. You can already do this. Uh, what is the trigger for it? Do you want to reward your users when they actually watch the ad? You can do this. Um, the shaders that I mentioned, other, some other type of design options, and we're learning a lot. You know, we have over 100 uh, publishers that use our solution live, making money with it. And uh, we, are, we have account managers constantly uh, with them on Skype and they request features. Um, and, uh, you know, we are putting that on the backlog. So it's, uh, it's very collaborative uh, and we're learning a lot from our, from our publishers. Impressive. In, in a way, it even sounds too good to be true. But uh, what will be then the challenges? Is the challenge is it to convince the the big enterprises or big brands to uh, believe that this is the right channel for their ads, or the, the, there are some other challenges? Can you can you talk around that? Yeah, I mean that's one of them, of course. Um, we are we we got a lot better since the summer. Uh, we increased the fill rate, which is the amount of um, the percentage of inventory that we sell uh, by a factor of five. So now it's actually delivering really consistent and, and non-negligible revenue for publishers. Uh, you know, we have some of our publishers that are small teams making 30K a month probably. Uh, so it's, it's really non-negligible. Uh, they have a decent audience, of course. We can't, uh, you know, make, create money out of nothing. You need to have users. But if you have users and you're struggling to find uh, incremental revenue from maybe traditional advertising system, um, you can use AdMix because we have uh, pretty much unlimited inventory. You can create as much inventory in your application, in your game, without affecting the retention as much. Um, 
So, but of course, you know, trying to get brand to spend even more and also target different areas. Um, we have now users in 180 countries. And of course, there's some areas that are less covered by advertisers. So all of this scaling um, is, is definitely uh, something that we are focused on to, uh, to improve our fill rate globally. And then there's other type of issues, uh, or not issues, but you know, things that challenges that makes our makes it um, exciting on a day-to-day basis, um, supporting multiple platforms, supporting all the devices. There's a lot of compatibility that we are working at the moment. Um, but uh, overall, you know, our goal is really to help developers from multiple platforms focused on VR, AR, yes, but we actually have a lot of developers that are fully focused on mobile and, and starting a little bit with esports. Um, we just want to give them the best tools for them to be able to monetize their, their application in the best possible way. Uh, Sam, when you say uh, you're focused more on creating a, a platform uh, from Admix, right? Uh, you saying that you focus more on small and medium business like indie, indie developers or you also working with some majors and major companies? No, at the moment we have really focused on the, uh, on the indie, indie community for sure. Um, you know, these are, in my opinion, really... The, um, I mean, if you look at the audience, right, they, they represent a, a big chunk of the uh, DAUs overall. I think actually the games between uh, 1 and 10 million uh, downloads represent 53% of the daily audience on mobile. Um, and so, you know, this is really the, ma- the market that we want to, to cater for right now. People that are using Unity, that are using Unreal, that do probably do not have time or resources to build their own advertising solutions. Uh, they probably also maybe struggle with uh, monetization. And so, you know, I used to be a creator. I used to have a small team. And this is really the tool that we wish we would have had at the time. And, uh, and so at the moment, this is really who we are focused on. Um, but of course, we are starting to talk to the bigger guys because they realize that actually this is a very neat solution. And even if it's admix or not admix, they, they're really starting to pay attention to in-game advertising, to new business models. They realize that charging $40 for a game upfront is not going to help them target this uh, growing gaming market, which is a bit more mainstream and maybe you know not willing to spend that much upfront, right? They might not all be hardcore gamers, but they might still like the game. If it was free, they could try it out, maybe buy more levels later or um, or, or monetize in a different way. And so I think we are you know, riding a trend where um, in-game and other alternative solutions are really starting to become very, very important. Do you see uh, any uh, opportunities in this area for uh, video streaming services like Netflix, like uh, Apple TV+, Plus, like Disney+, Plus? Um, yeah, I mean, we are really focused on monetizing um, content that is created in 3D, so using Unity or Unreal. Um, we have actually run a, a proof of concept with uh, We Make VR, which is making basically 360 videos. Uh, and it works as well. You can integrate a solution within um, you know, the video. Uh, it's just that, of course, there's no, there's no depth to it. Um, so I would say that this is really not our, not our core focus. And uh, uh, a little bit 
uh, more futuristic question probably. Uh, when we are taking ER, and now I hear more and more discussions around that we need some device uh, which we will wear always, right? Not only uh, mm-hmm. when we play games or watch video. Let's say eventually we'll get such device. Do you see uh, such kind of opportunities uh, when we will uh, uh, use your technology in real world, right? Uh, when I'm driving, looking around. And I remember when I was like uh, several years ago, was working in uh, ad- advertising related business from IT side, right? So we've been uh, dreaming about uh, such things or uh, as, you know, targeting people in real life when they yeah. going home and driving home they're looking at the billboards and they see t- targeted to them advertising uh, back then of course it wasn't possible but with AR in real life probably it will become possible uh, what do you think about that yeah no of course you know this is um, this is um, very possible and I think a lot of people when they think about advertising in AR this is also the first thing they think about is how we can replace actual billboards with uh, with digital billboards. I think that, um, you know, if it's about replacing the thing that you see in the street with uh, with a, a video or an image, I don't I don't see that as really working because this is not something people really pay attention to. However, having contextual uh, alerts and recommendation and notification, if you are, you know, driving in a street and it's close to uh, 1 p.m., um, which is lunchtime, then you might get a, a recommendation uh, in your AR headset if you are in a specific app uh, that knows that you know you're looking for a restaurant. So there could be very smart location-based notifications like this that are sponsored by brands, a bit like um, you know the Amazon uh, Alexa, for example. When you say I want to buy tooth, uh, toothpaste, then uh, they select the brand. Uh, or they propose you with multiple brands, right? This is an audio product placement almost. So we could see the same things in uh, in AR. But what I would say also is that a lot of people think that, you know, we're going to wear uh, AR headsets and we're going to see brands everywhere. That just will not happen um, because these ads are not going to be integrated with the hardware at, at the system level. It would always be in a specific application that you are launching. And, you know, if you are not, happy with that if there's too many ads in the app you can just take the headset off and eventually you will never use that app again so that is to some extent will be self self-contained uh we will never be in a, a dystopian future like this short movie called hyper reality where the world is covered with ads just because people wouldn't wouldn't cope with it they would um take the headset and uh, and that would be the end of it so there's no risk on that front i would say um, in, however, there is very interesting opportunities for brands to be part of um, very contextual conversations. On that positive moment, and uh, I, w- I would propose to close our podcast. Before we'll finally close it, do you have any topics which we didn't touch uh, and you would like to mention? Maybe something related to your future plans uh, for AdMix? Yeah, I guess we could talk about uh, the community that we've built a little bit. So we're putting a lot of focus on uh, uh, a new website called VR AR Pioneers. Um, and this is a spin-off of our Facebook group, which has, I think, close to 10,000 members. And we've, we've been sharing a lot of uh, resources to for helping developers grow, whether it's a list of uh, 500 podcasts they should listen to or a list of uh, free 3D models for Unity. Um, we've basically created a website to 
compile all of this and give a voice to our um, to our developers as well. So they can contribute. If you have something interesting to say, you can basically um, get in, get in touch with us and write a guest post, and uh, this will be read by you know most of the uh, VR AR developer community. Okay. Uh, thank you, Sam. I will put uh, links uh, to uh, these resources uh, in show notes to podcasts. Let's share them after the recording. Great. And uh, thank you for coming to our podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh, have a good evening. And thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. This is great.